You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Today's passage is taken from Acts chapter 21. Paul goes to Jerusalem, verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to course, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, living it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyra. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed, and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agapus came down from Judea. And, from, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he will not be persuaded, we cease and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers gladly received us. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to the idols and from blood and from what has been strangled 
and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. These are the true words of the living God. Thanks, Jermaine. <clears throat> Thank you for the word that was read. So wonderful. Um, amazing passage. Looking forward to share about this passage uh, with us. Um, but for now, let me do a book giveaway. Uh, we give away a book on the first Sunday of every month just to uh, cultivate uh, a, a healthy culture of reading uh, in this church. Um, one of the frequently asked questions that we often get as uh, pastors uh, in this church is that how can we be involved uh, in RAC? How can I serve th this body of Christ at Redemption Hill Church? And uh, often what I tell people is, uh, you know, invest in meaningful relationship. Allow yourself to be known by others and use those relationships where you are known and you're knowing people uh, to speak truth into their life, to point to Jesus. So this book uh, by Mark Dever, um, Discipling, is about how to help others follow Jesus. Uh, if you think this book might be helpful for you, why don't you raise your hand and I can pass this to you. Actually, Injin was the first one, sorry. He's a bit faster. So, Wait, when is going to come forward to collect this on behalf of uh, her husband? Um, make sure he reads it, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, good. Uh, my name is Jacob, one of the pastors here. Uh, warmly welcome you to RHC. Josh, thanks for the prayer earlier um, for the people that who are going to preach the, the word um, in this series. Uh, we are now back in the book of Acts. Uh, let me just share a little bit of like how we normally, you know, go through books in the Bible at RAC. We preach the scripture passage by passage, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, a few years ago, we started the book of Luke, and uh, Acts is uh, actually Luke part two, so we continue on. Uh, it's a project over a few years, and just plowing through passages in the Bible. Um, the school holiday had just ended, right? So back to normal life. Uh, and I can see in the morning tired faces of parents uh, who come back from the school holiday um, and almost like it's something quite symbolic as well. Uh, we are here back to the book of Acts, back to the normal, mundane, ordinary task of presenting the word, unpacking the word, applying that to us. Uh, it's, it's, it's not for any specific agenda. This is not a topical series where I'm trying to get us to a specific outcome. This is just normal, mundane discipleship, where the word is preached, where it's being applied to the pulpit in this way. And by doing so, we actually cover all kinds of topics. So I didn't plan on what to say today. Just simply looking at this text, unpacking it for us, and trusting that God will speak to us. And we think that that is uh, one of the healthiest ways to build the church and to disciple the church. Someone, uh, a visitor who recently came and speak with me, um, say that they, they came to REC because um, we had a reputation for attracting young people. I'm like, wow, we have a, a reputation for attracting young people. And they said they were quite surprised when they show up because uh, for a church that seems to be attracting fairly young people, um, that our services seem very ordinary. Like just very ordinary. In just this ballroom, nothing too exciting happened. Uh, you have a guy leading songs, a guy leading prayer, a guy presenting to you the word. Um, there's no like fanciful lights or smokes. 
or there's no like high quality video production uh, where suddenly there's a video behind me um, and then you know engaging in their opinion young people through some of these methods um, and I was actually really happy to hear that to be honest just the mundane ordinary diet of God's words and trusting in the spirit of God convicting hearts and building us up through very ordinary people and pastors none of us is like famous preacher or you know whatever we, we are just ordinary men standing up here presenting to you the word so here's my outline just a quick overview of how I plan to take us through uh, Acts chapter 21 three parts uh, first part rejecting <laughs> Godly counsel for the gospel may sound a little bit jarring for you. Uh, bear with me. Uh, I, I hope to make that plain for us. Submitting under godly counsel for the gospel. And then finally, we close on three lessons from the life of Paul. Um, someone made a comment to me after the first service that my first point seems a little bit odd. It, it's true that the Bible calls us to reject godly counsel. Now, I'm just using that to describe what I see in this text in the first 16 verses. Uh, you have two parts where Paul rejected godly counsel. And then subsequently, in the second part, he submitted under godly counsel, both for the sake of the gospel. So let's dive in. Um, let me just recount Acts so far. The book of Acts is a very exciting book. Action packs, lots of things happening. Uh, chapter 2, we see the Spirit of God being poured out upon God's people. Tongues, there was a signs of fire um, on the Pentecost, uh, and Peter's sermon cuts many hearts, and the church grew. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, we see that there was a promise, a promise and a call for God's people to go out from Jerusalem into the nations. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, this is how uh, this verse is being fulfilled. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was great persecution in Jerusalem and they were scattered, scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, and from there, the rest of the world. This is how the gospel went out into the world. Persecution was the factor that scattered the church. So side note number one, uh, the church often when faced with external persecution grew. In fact, uh, when, church, when, when the church declined, it is usually due to internal problems. It is usually due to things in the human heart. Uh, often external persecution have served to strengthen the church and the cause of the gospel, uh, which means that this is something for us to be very, very careful of. Because in Singapore, in our time and our context, we do our Christian faith in an aircon environment such as this, right? comfort, security. And there are many things that we take for granted. Uh, the book of Acts doesn't paint the same set of assumptions. The Christian back then, they expected life to be very hard. They expected suffering. They don't ask the question of, uh, why would God allow these things to happen to me? As we will see in the life of Paul, whenever someone tells him that he will suffer, it's like, yeah, thanks for confirming that this is true in my life. In fact, I will press in more as I see suffering in my life. This is a confirmation to the life that God has called me to. So that's side note number one. Now, the book of Acts also uh, has got two very interesting major characters. First 13 chapters seems to focus on um, Peter and early church uh, that was built upon. Um, the apostles Peter and uh, the rest uh, of the apostles uh, started in Jerusalem. And then slowly, in the second half, uh, the attention was uh, mainly on this man called Paul. Paul and his missionary trips where he advanced the gospel in various places. And in chapter 21 today, we are focusing on this character, Paul. 
And the chapter before, Acts chapter 20, Paul just said farewell to some very, very good friends. Um, verse 1, it says that, and we had parted from them and set sail. So chapter 21, verse 1, parted from them and set sail. The, the word parted from them, a more accurate translation, actually has the meaning of being torn away, being taken away. There's a sense of like being taken away from people whom he loved very, very dearly. There is a relational richness to the life in the first century church where there was just a deep sense of affection and love. Uh, as they said farewell to Paul in Acts chapter 20, he was about to leave them to move towards Jerusalem to fulfill the mission that God has given to, to him. Uh, the, the people in, in, in Ephesus, they were in tears because they knew that that would be the last time they saw Paul. So there's a sense of like saying farewell to this man that they love and respected very, very deeply. So today we see the rest of um, how the rest of Paul's trips um, uh, continue um, in Acts chapter 21. Now the best way for you to follow my sermon is this, that you open your Bible app in front of you and uh, resist the temptation of going to Instagram to scroll through. Uh, stay, stay at the Bible app, uh, Acts chapter 21. I'm going to just take us through some of these verses uh, and just make some observation and apply it to us. So Acts chapter 21, and then verse 2 onward, they found a ship, and then they continued the journey. The first six verses of chapter 21, um, it reads like a travel log with some random details of places that they went to, people whom they have met, and so on. And then um, what I want us to focus on is actually verse 4. Uh, there was a portion about how through the Spirit, there were a few disciples uh, who met Paul in his journey. Um, Paul stayed with them for a number of days, and they were telling Paul over the period of time that Paul stayed with them not to go to Jerusalem. Now notice how in verse 4, these disciples, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is not them coming out with something that they imagine. That is not of the Spirit. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell Paul not to go. Paul continued. Anyway, so did Paul disobey the Spirit? We'll get to that later. Um, these random disciples, they were not named at all. But uh, this morning, um, this, this was not in my notes originally. I was just thinking about how, how these folks who were not named, how they modeled for us how life in church should be like. You know, they met Paul, stayed with him for a few days. They spoke truth to him uh, boldly, even though they, they knew that there could be some disagreement. Um, they were dissuading him from going to Jerusalem. And the story ends with them at the beach with their wife, with their kids, kneeling down together, praying for Paul. Even as Paul said no to them, there was just a sense of affection as they said their farewell. Now again, we see that in the book of Acts. It's not just about all the exciting things. Um, in the subtext of the book of Acts, it should give us a picture of a church that is full of affection and love. You, you can see affection every page in the book of Acts. And so here in these minor details, they love Paul dearly, praying with him at the beach. Affection. And then verse 7 onward, uh, they arrive at this other place. And then verse 8, they were hosted by a man called Philip, Philip the Evangelist, uh, who was one of the seven. Referring to, he was one of the seven deacons appointed to serve the church in Acts chapter 6. Now, side note, who is this Philip? Uh, prominent, godly man uh, with a reputation for being a faithful evangelist. 
Uh, we see here he has uh, four daughters, uh, faithful daughters serving the Lord. Uh, they prophesied, they were serving the Lord faithfully. His family served the Lord. Uh, and uh, we also, if you follow the story of Acts, you may also notice some minor details. That Philip in Acts chapter 6 was appointed to be a leader of the church together with another man called Stephen. And Stephen, by the way, was actually murdered by Paul <laughs> himself. So you have literally someone who murdered your friend before, and now you are hosting them. Now, that's not the major point of this text, but I just want to make some of these observations so that you can understand that the church is called by God to be this very radical entity which the world will look, look at us uh, with a kind of perplexity. How can former enemies treat each other with such grace and tenderness and affection? Only the gospel of grace. Only the good news of Jesus can lead to such reconciliation and love. So Philip, four daughters who uh, prophesy, um, verse 9, uh, probably trying to highlight that uh, these are not just ordinary women, but these are extremely gifted, capable women, full of the Spirit. So they were, they were all there. Um, it's to ascribe some kind of credibility to uh, later on um, what the church is about to say to Paul. And then you have Agabus, this well-known prophet, first appeared in Acts chapter 11. He came all the way to Jerusalem to, to tell Paul this message, and which he expressed uh, in quite an interesting way. Right? He, took, he took the belt, uh, and then he said that whoever owns the belt, this is what's going to happen to you. He took his belt, and he started to bind his own hands and feet. Um, I find it quite interesting. I tried to picture how I can use the belt to bind my own hand. I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. But anyway, point is that this man chose a very, very dramatic and vivid way of telling Paul something. And he's not just a hyper-spiritual and a little bit weird type. Uh, this is a legit prophet with a word inspired by the Holy Spirit to deliver to Paul himself. Old school, Old Testament style through a symbolic act. Now, everyone up to this point is building a case to Paul. And what's the message? It's actually not too hard for us to discern. Don't go, Paul. <laughs> Don't go. Some things are going to happen to you that's are, that are going to be extremely, extremely bad. Bad things are going to happen to you. Don't go. Now, to be fair to Agabus, uh, in this text, we don't see him explicitly saying that the Holy Spirit tell me to tell you not to go. He's just mainly relating what he saw to be the destiny of Paul. As he goes into Jerusalem, he is going to be in chain. He's going to go through severe suffering. And it's a little bit like if you know a friend is about to head down a cliff, what do you do? The logical and most loving thing to do is to tell them not to head down the cliff, not to go, right? So every person is trying their best to apply discernment and trying to encourage Paul to the best of their ability. And Paul went ahead anyway. But here is not I think verse 12, there's, there's a detail there which I want us to notice. It says, when we heard this, we and the people that urged him not to go up to Jerusalem, when we heard this, who are the we? It's referring to the writer of this book, Luke himself. And what this is saying is that this is like the breaking point of Luke. In Ephesus, he saw the elders there telling Paul not to go. He's like, no, I'm going to stick with Paul. You have my back. I'm going to go with you when they bump into some disciples on the road who tell the same thing to Paul, not to go. Luke stuck with Paul. This is like his breaking point, right? Finally, here, Luke has joined the other side. So we have team 
Paul all by himself, and then Tim, the rest of the church. <laughs> Everyone telling Paul not to go. Paul responded with this, verse 13. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus himself. Wow. But here are some details that I don't want us to just skip, skip by. Uh, what are you doing weeping? Weeping. So imagine with me, the context of the discussion isn't a theological debate where they were coming up with like different strategy of how to win the world, and one side said, don't go, one side said, go, and then they were trying to iron it out. Each person giving some proposition, some verses in the Bible, try to like, you know, figure out who's right and who's wrong. This was intense. This, this was emotional discussion happening. They were urging a friend whom they loved dearly not to go to a place where they, they knew he's going to die. Uh, so this, this was intense. And Paul did not respond by saying that, hey, I'm going to um, show you myself the argument. You see, here's, here's the case that you made. I know that you have. But um, my discernment of the Holy Spirit is even stronger than you guys. So uh, I'm, you know, let, let me argue my case by showing you that you're wrong. No, no, Paul did not say this. Why are you breaking my heart? So they are all talking in relational terms, right? Weeping, breaking my heart. And, and, the, and the reason is this. Everyone is trying to discern this situation with the motive of love. They just want to love well. Everyone is trying to love God well and love each other as faithfully as they can. Now, it would be helpful for us to um, also trace a little bit uh, who is this Paul, what is his character, how is he like as a person. Now, this is the same Paul with a high view of the local church. When he wrote 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 on spiritual gift, on, on prophecy and tongues. Uh, he, he spoke about how, you know, in, in the context of prophecy, when someone has a word, what do you do? You don't just receive it without any kind of like consideration. You actually have to weigh it with the church and allow the elders, allow the church to discern and weigh it before we accept whether that is true or not. So this is a man with a high view of local church, have a high view of local church leaders that writes about, you know, installing elders and deacons as part of what being a healthy church is all about. So Paul has a high view of local church. Is he breaking his own rule here? I really don't think so. Uh, he, he is not contradicting himself. And the Holy Spirit is not contradicting himself. I think this is a fulfillment of what Paul already knew. That his life, even in the chapter before Acts chapter 20, he knew that I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. This is the word of Paul. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew that this is the life that God has called him to. So let me just, um, in my um, limited uh, knowledge of the many things that is not revealed to us in Acts chapter 21, give a shot at what I think was going on there. Every person received something from the Holy Spirit and was trying to make sense and apply it. There were those that received visions and just a sense of, uh, you know, some kind of like revelation from God that Paul is going to head down to Jerusalem and suffer and he will die, he will lose his life. And they, within human reasonable um, 
uh, way of like guessing what this could mean for Paul, they urged him not to go. But from the side of Paul, you know how he's receiving it is, he's receiving it as thank you for confirming what the Lord Jesus, what the Holy Spirit has been telling me all this while. That when I go there, this is what's going to happen to me. So when Agabus showed this picture of him being chained up, he's like, yeah, I saw that. I knew that that was going to happen. Thank you for confirming that. That means I must go. I must go. Now, um, have you heard of the phrase life verse? Some people have a life verse. Uh, this verse uh, is something that my parents pray over me or it's, it's a verse for my life that I hold on to. Um, you know, it's quite a common Christian thing. Anyone? Life verse? Here is Paul's life verse. If I can make a guess, this is his life verse. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, this is, this is not uh, what he said, but someone who was called to go to him uh, was told this, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, of God, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the first part, this is Paul's calling to reach the Gentiles and to stand before kings and authority to testify to this good news. So there's a calling and purpose. And then part of that calling and purpose involved, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wow. This is not the most appealing life verse, right? In a way. Um, but I, if I can have a shot at Paul's life verse, this would probably be the one that defined him the most. Going to the Gentiles, standing before kings, suffering. He, he must suffer for the gospel. And as the various characters in Acts chapter 21 try to discern and apply what this means, eventually this is where they conclude and ended. Acts 21 verse 14. Everyone finally agree on this. Let the will of the Lord be done. I find it so beautiful. I find it so, so, so freeing. Every person operating according to their discernment, having the freedom to speak honestly about what they discern. Everyone trying to please God, trying to love, just having that honesty and that freedom to do that. And eventually, when you realize that you do not get your way, there's a sense of restedness in trusting that ultimately, whose will will be done? God's will. It's not about me su succeeding in convincing my, my brother Paul that he shouldn't go. It's about me being faithful to God in telling him what I saw. That's what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. I'm putting that on him to make a decision. And finally, when he rejects that, there's a sense of like, let me um, bless you with the blessing of God and trust that the will of God will be done. Now, church, this is how it looks like to be so focused on God. No fear of man. And everyone just applying their faith at every given step to be faithful to God, honouring to Him, loving and honouring to each other. I think this, this passage is meant to give us a picture of how the local church is like and how interaction and engagement in the local church is like. So that's my first part. Paul rejected godly counsel, very godly counsel, people who really love him for the sake of the gospel. It's not meant to be a norm. Please don't take this as like, you know, every other thing you apply this principle. Um, and I hope that the second point will help to provide some kind of tension in the other direction. Paul submit under godly counsel for the gospel. So verse 17 onward, he came to Jerusalem. The brothers received us gladly. Uh, verse 18, on the following day, uh, they went in to be with James and all the elders were there. After greeting them, uh, they shared their testimonies of how uh, the ministry of Paul has been resulting in many Gentiles coming to faith 
And when they heard it, referring to the Jerusalem elders, they glorified God. They did not say, wow, I cannot believe it. You know, these, these Gentiles, these unworthy Gentiles, they are coming to faith. How can that be? No, they did not say that. They say that we are glory to God. God fulfilled the gospel. God fulfilled um, Paul's call for the gospel to reach the Gentiles. And here we are seeing fruits. And um, there's something also interesting here that they turned Paul's attention to what was happening at Jerusalem. They were saying to Paul, this is how I paraphrase it. Well, we thank God that many, many Gentiles came to faith as a result of your ministry, as a result of you going out to share this good news. But don't forget the Jews, Paul. Don't forget the Jews. There were Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who came to faith, and we now consider them as Christians and brothers and sisters in the faith. And they love Moses, and they love the Torah, and they love the law. They believe and they love the law of Moses at the same time. Now, let's apply some thinking for a moment. Is it a good or bad thing to believe in the gospel wholeheartedly, to be born again in the good news that Jesus alone can save, and to love the law at the same time? Is it a good or bad thing? The answer is it depends. (laughs) It depends, right? It depends. It really, really depends. The question is, where do they look to ultimately for their righteousness? If they look to the law and say that it is about me fulfilling all this sacrificial law, all this moral law, all these Ten Commandments, behave myself, then I get my righteousness and get into heaven, and that would be a really, really bad thing. But if you believe in the good news that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those law, and you start to understand all those sacrificial law, all those different ceremonies, and you see Christ as the one that fulfilled them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I can imagine uh, myself, if I'm a Jewish person, reading about all this law all my life, applying them as part of my tradition, and then finally making sense that all these things point to Jesus. Wow, that must be so mind-blowing. So the elders there, they were trying to describe faithful believers who came to faith and loved the law because those law according to the word of Jesus himself, all those law point ultimately to himself. And there's an appreciation that this law points to Jesus and Jesus is the fulfillment. Now, before I go on, um, let me just uh, make sure that I'm clear about what the gospel is all about. The gospel is God save sinners. The good news is this, that you and I, we are not able to fulfill the law of God. Ten commandments, do not murder do not commit adultery. And how did Jesus raise the bar? If you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder. If you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. Which means that according to the definition, this whole ballroom is full of murderers and adulterers. I'm not even trying to exaggerate here. I think <laughs> Jesus is serious when he put it that way. There's a sense that none of us is able to live up to the righteous demand of the law. The law cannot save Jesus alone safe. And some of these Jews, they really understand that. They understood that. And they knew that Jesus, by trusting in Jesus and the grace of God that came to us through Jesus, through, through Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, that is how we are given righteousness. And they understand that, and that is their basis of being Christian. And yet at the same time, some of them were still in a context where these laws, these traditions were being practiced. And there was a sense of freedom in participating in some of these 
things. If you ask Paul, um, what, what is it that saved him? It's not his missionary effort. It is Jesus. If you ask Philips, you see it about his reputation as an evangelist? No, it is Jesus. If you ask James, it is not about his blood relationship with uh, Jesus himself. It is him looking to Jesus as Savior. Ultimately, all these people enter the kingdom of God through just one door, Jesus. And so do you and I. We enter into the kingdom of heaven through the work of Jesus, through the person of Jesus. And then we also see here in this text, there's a freedom. There's a freedom in Paul witnessing for the gospel by participating in certain rituals and ceremony. Now, when I apply this to us, this can look like this. Can Christians do this or not? Uh, often, um, people come to the pastor asking, is this thing okay? Can I as a Christian participate in this or not? And I find that to be quite hard at times uh, to process with people because it's not just about the behavior, right? It's about getting to the heart of what those things are all about. And sometimes we look at some of those things, those behaviors, and we think that by doing them or not doing them, that will give me righteousness. No, that is the wrong place to look for your righteousness. Homeschooling or putting your, your kids in public school, you know, some of those decisions. Now, you can homeschool for the glory of God. You can put your kids in public school for the glory. You can go for a vegan diet for the glory of God, although I'll be very sad if I turn vegan one day, if God calls me to be a vegan. Um, and over, the, over the past few years, it's a question of vaccination. You know, should I get va- vaccinated or not? Uh, you know, I have good Christian, smart, intelligent Christian brothers and sisters wrestling with that, right? You know, verses in the Bible, what does that mean? Now, there is a Christian freedom that we have in Christ that allow us to look at all these things and disagree on where we land on some of these matters. And I think it's okay as long as we don't look at any of these things as our, the place for our righteousness. The Christian faith is not to be reduced into just merely do's and don'ts. It's not. Ultimately, it's about relating to God through what Christ has done for us, and that is the Christian gospel. In fact, if you reduce the Christian faith to just do's and don'ts, it is almost like, um, you know, in marriage counseling situation, you have the husband or wife sometimes at some point in the marriage counseling say, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do <laughs> to make you happy. I'm totally like, don't know how can we move on from here. Just tell me what to do in three steps, step one, step two, step three, and I will do them to make you happy. I think that is one of the most dis- discouraging things that you can say to your spouse <laughs> or your pastor. When you reduce your faith to just, just tell me what to do. Now we see here in this picture of uh, how church life is all about. There's something dynamic. Everyone is discerning what the Holy Spirit is calling them to do. And there's a kind of freedom, a freedom that enables them to simply glorify God and make much of the gospel. So let, let me continue the story. Verse 21 onward. Uh, here's the problem in verse 21. There were Jews that were telling people in Jerusalem, there was a rumors going on that Paul was asking Gentiles to forsake Moses and telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the Jewish custom. Is it true or not? Yeah, yeah. to some extent, it's, there's some truth to it. But it doesn't paint the full picture of what Paul is all about in his ministry. And anyway, um, the, the elders say, say this, uh, do therefore what we tell you, verse 23. This is a bit creepy, right? It's like so prescriptive. It's like your pastor tells you, just do exactly 
uh, what, I, what I tell you to do. It's almost like completely opposite of what I just mentioned earlier, reduce it to do's and don'ts, right? But here, there's a kind of wisdom that they have which Paul maybe did not have the full context and they are using pretty firm language to tell him what to do. Do, do this. There's this man under Nazarite vows. Um, they are going through this uh, ceremony. We want you to support them through your money, through your time, even through your participation so that we can deal with all these rumors out there that you're against the law. Put those rumors to rest once and for all, Paul, by just going along with this. Now, Paul could have go full Galatian on them, right? <laughs> if you read the book of Galatians, you know, he's like, are you abandoning the gospel and going back to the law? He could have given them uh, a strong rebuke. You know, how can you tolerate um, things that are so um, Old Testament, you know, Jesus, under the new covenant, these things no longer apply in the same way, circumcision and so on. Now, the surprising thing is in verse 26, just one verse, Paul took the man the next day, the next day, so immediately, there's, there's no like delay. The next day, purified himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and offering presented for each one of them. So basically, Paul complied immediately the next day to the dot. So just one verse, no drama. Paul received, Paul complied. Paul submitted to godly counsel. Now, now we have a problem, right? The first part, Paul rejected godly counsel. Second part, Paul just submitted without even giving a fight. And you guys are confused by now. What are you supposed to do? Reject, submit. Uh, I think 1 Corinthians 9 tells us the principle of how this works. Uh, let me have those verses on the screen. Um, this is the word of Paul himself. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So the goal is to win them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win them. To those under the law, I became as one under the law in order to win them. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do it for all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in this blessing. Notice how many times the word win comes out in this portion. Paul wants to win, but not quite in the same way that you and I imagine winning to be. Right? He is so focused. In some way, he is so relational and so task-focused. He has this ultimate goal to win all for the sake of the gospel. He will do whatever it takes to win them so that they can see Jesus clearly. Now, what kind of man would say something like this? Sometimes you can read uh, a passage like this and assume that, oh, this guy, maybe he has no backbone. He's prepared to compromise certain things in order to reach out to people. No, Paul, clearly he's, he's not a man that is like that. He has firm and good theological conviction. But he also knows very clearly what that conviction is for, to point to Jesus, to point to Jesus. He is strong and firm and very, very gentle and humble at the same time. This is what the Christian faith produces. Men and women who are strong and humble at the same time for the sake of the gospel. I think there are two groups of people that this passage uh, could possibly be challenging. Those who love to play safe, you might be someone who is uh, really nice, submissive. Uh, you receive counsel, 
And before you make any major decision, you want to consult your pastor Ikyong, you know, to, to get his green light first before you go ahead uh, and not you know, have him find out through social media of certain major decisions that you want to like, make sure you consult him first, involve your CG leader. Sorry, Ikyong, to put you on the spot. Ikyong is not like that. He doesn't demand that you consult him. But I know some, people, some of us, we come to him because it's the wise thing to do to talk to a pastor, get their counsel and prayer. Um, and um, you, you often make decisions based on like, you know, how many ducks you can get in a row. If God calls you to something, you want to make sure that everything is covered. Every, every uh, minor details is uh, projected and covered before you can make those decisions. I think if you are like that, you can grow in being a bit more radical about your faith, <laughs> in simply going even when you have not figured out everything, to discern what the will of the Lord might be for your life, to press in and go even when it is tough even when it is difficult. So if you are one of those who love to play safe, who love to hide in comfort, you, you, you might want to receive this text today as some kind of challenge to you. On the other side, there could be some of us who love to play heroes. <laughs> I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but you, you probably can think about some people in your life who are like that. Uh, in, in a sense, uh, quite individualistic, uh, full of faith in some way, which is a good thing, eager to take risks. Um, but for folks like that, Often there's a sense of like no one can actually hold them back. They don't receive counsel very well. Yeah, they are okay to just uh, break fellowship and go out and do their own thing. Now, for, if, you are folk, if you are someone like that, you can learn to be a bit more unradical <laughs> and conforming. Uh, you, maybe it's not always to go and do something very exciting all the time. Some of us are actually called to stay and carry on with very mundane, ordinary Tangless job that may not look very heroic on the outside, but that is faithfulness. Uh, changing a diaper in the middle of the night is uh, a very faithful thing to, to do for the Lord. <laughs> Someone say amen over here. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just about like, playing the hero, going out and be like a Paul. Uh, here we see how in very normal and mundane way, men and women can be wonderful instruments for the kingdom of God. And we can learn and grow to be like that. And we can be at rest that we don't have to be the hero because the hero is someone else. In closing, there are three lessons from Paul. So this is just a summary. Three things that we can take away from Paul's life and apply it to ourselves. Hopefully that will encourage you. So these are things that I've already covered. I'm just going to repackage them in the three lessons so that it's easier for you to have some kind of takeaway. First thing is, uh, as we are discerning and doing God's will, as we seek to be faithful to Him, the courage to push through. Now, you can be caught by God to do something and face severe and even traumatic difficulties at times. Really, really. In fact, that will be next week's sermon. Um, so you can see here, Paul seems to be this uh, wonderful, perfect vessel who faithfully applied the faith with wisdom, you know, submitted and do everything that was right and necessary. And the result was quite horrendous. Uh, literally, there was a mob coming against him at the temple. He came under attack. There were people who wanted to kill him for the work that he was doing. So just because you receive a calling from God and you are faithfully doing and pursuing the calling, it doesn't guarantee you comfort. I, I say this because sometimes people come to me and ask, you know, there's all this setback, all these difficulties, money don't seem to be coming in, things are really hard. Do you think that I'm caught for this? And I often will have to respond to them, yeah, you know what, sometimes this suffering and affliction are really part of the package of being caught by God. 
So let's have the courage to push through, especially during very difficult time. Second thing, humility to adapt. I already mentioned this, so I'll not go too much into that. This is a man who's been crucified with Christ and he knows that he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. And uh, the life that he now lives, he lives it by faith to the Son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him. So this is the Paul who received life that way and understand ministry that way. There's a sense of like, I'm, I'm, I want to be firm and strong in the cause that God has given to me. But along the way, the Holy Spirit reserved the right to change things. And I adapt and I conform and I submit and I humbly come under the leading of God, the local church, as uh, changes happen. Ultimately, God's will will be fulfilled. God's plan prevail. Humility to adapt. Finally, this is most important, consistency in keeping the gospel as the main thing. Church, we must keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? The good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus. Now, there are many reasons uh, why... Um, you know, people can sometimes move on from the church. We can even break fellowship over something, over differences. And the question that I often ask is, uh, is this something that is about the gospel? Or is this just human opinion? Differences that at the end of the day don't make that much of a difference as we zoom out and look at the big picture of what God is accomplishing. So let's not be caught up with some of those details that could be unhelpful for the advancement of God's kingdom, but to keep the gospel the main thing. The main thing is the gospel. And let's keep the gospel the main thing in this church. Uh, I'm about to end in just a couple of minutes. Um, I am 42 this year. And um, if you're older than me, I'm not trying to say that being 42 is like very old. That's not what I mean. Um, but after being alive for four decades, you, you know that it's about halfway there, right? Even to call it halfway there is a bit audacious because that's assuming that I can live up to 80. Who am I to assume that? And in a sense, as I grow older, there's a sense of like growing conviction in me that I want to keep the main thing the main thing. In the past, I remember when someone had some kind of like disagreement with me uh, over some things in the Bible, I take delight in opening the scripture and show that they are wrong and I'm right. <laughs> there's some kind of delight. Now, these days, uh, when some of those conversations happen, some of those questions happen, I often want to clarify with them first. Are you asking me this question because you simply want to have a theological discourse and debate or are you asking this because uh, you're part of this church and these things matters to you and it's part of my caring for you as a pastor? So establishing the relationship first before I go into some of these difficult conversations is actually very important to me this day. And I realized that that outworking of my faith is because I realized that life is very, 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 very short. Life is very, very short. And just an eye is going to pass. Let's keep the gospel the main thing. If there's something that is worth for me giving a fight of my life, it will be about the good news of Jesus. Anything that compromises the good news. Other things, there could be things that good Christians can disagree. Let's work out those things. And if RAC is not a suitable church for you, you know, there are other churches out there on some of those non-essential items. Um, but here, what we long for is to keep the gospel the main thing. And with that, let me pray for us and ask God to help us to keep the gospel the main thing here in this church. Let's pray to God and ask Him for help. Father, we come before you today and pray again for you to help, for you to intervene. This church is built upon the firm foundation of Jesus and we trust in the grace of Jesus to help us to finish faithfully. And what we long for is to receive from you at the end of our life, well done, 
good and faithful servants. We long for that. And we pray for this church to be courageous in our conviction, humble in our approach, and ultimately keeping the gospel as the main thing all the time. That is our desire, and this is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.